0: This is first contact stories of the call center. Welcome to first contact stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome back to another season, season three, actually, of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Super excited, actually, for today's guest. Um, This episode is really going to be focusing uh, the history and the background of someone who's just highly respected in the arm space, and we're really lucky to have them here. So we've brought on someone that has over a half century of experience He's a gen- second-generation business owner, industry member, certified ACA instructor for over 31 years, and currently is the president of Applied Innovation, a company that uses cutting-edge technology, provides cutting-edge technology um, under a suite of solutions for the arm space. So outside of literally standing here for a half an hour talking about everything Harry's done, we're welcoming Harry Strauser to the next episode of season three Harry welcome to the show thanks so much for
1: joining thank you Christian fantastic to be here uh, I've, I've known your company and your leadership uh, for many years and uh, it's an honor for me to be part of your program particularly your uh, initial program for the third season fantastic well awesome and you know like always we
0: have a theme with the stories that we talk about here, right? Because as we always say, not everybody, and I have to say that now, not everybody wakes up and says, you know, one day I'm gonna be in the collections industry or I'm gonna be in the contact center space, but you have seemed to have a different story. So we always wanna find out what got you here, what got you into the space and then where you are today with your current role. So if you wanna go ahead and just in those who don't know, and obviously those who do, Um, you're going to hear the great story, right? So, Harry, what got you to this place?
1: Hey, well, what's interesting to me, um, as I look back over my career in the industry, is that it's not terribly unusual how I got my start, but I think maybe some of the pathways and some of the turns in the road along the way made it a little bit more unique. Um, You know, I'm second generation in the industry, so unlike some people who decided at one point in time, they wanted to uh, get into the collection industry or found by mistake they got into the collection industry. Uh, my family decided to start uh, a collection agency and I was 12 years old since so about 1973. And what was not unusual about that era is that people like my dad that were doing collection work somewhere saw an opportunity to start their own company. And so my dad had worked for beneficial finance companies and, uh, you know, I I don't even know that there's many, if any of those around anymore, but very, very uh, popular back in the 50s and 60s and uh, he was a head of collections and we had moved about four times before I was 10 years old and came back and and settled down in what was my family's, you know, hometown in, in northeast Pennsylvania. Dad was working for a savings and loan. And I, I, it's amazing how you can remember things from almost 50 years ago distinctly and other things you forget. But I remember uh, coming home from school one day and dad got home from work. And that day he had been to the dentist and the dentist was a friend of his. And as my dad was getting his teeth worked on, the dentist lamented to him and said, gosh, Harry, you handle collections over the savings and loan. He said, look at this pile of, of ledger cards here. Um I can't collect them. Gosh, why don't you take them and work them and I'll give you half of everything you collect. Now, this is back in the good old days where you actually got half of what you collected. And I remember dad came home that night. He had a thick pack of ledger cards. He laid them on the dining room table and he looked at my mom and I and said, we're in the collection business. And that's literally how it started from that very, very moment where uh, dad would come home from from work. You know, he had maybe a hundred accounts and he would make some phone calls. On our rotary dial phone in the house, and he would talk to uh, talk to people about making payments. And he started to have some money coming in. And gosh, back then, you know, if you collected fifty bucks and you made twenty five. That that was a, a pretty good deal because mom and dad, you know, didn't start with lots of money. Um, and that is how it started. Then another doctor in the area called, and and then the local bank called and said, "I heard you're doing this. And Before you know it, we had uh, formed an actual company called." Uh, called action management. So I got involved uh, in that company at a very young age. I had um, it literally at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, emptying trash cans, filing leisure cards, You know, getting used to what it was like to be in the uh, in the collection industry without technology. And we'll certainly deal with some technological conversation today. Um but that that's how we got started. And within about uh, 10 years, we operated out of my family's uh, house at a large, lower level, b- built a building, uh, hired more people, and, and started on a journey that uh, has brought me to the point where five years ago, I, I, I sold my um, my agency and certainly talk a little bit more about that today, what the last five years has been like. But if I back up a little bit, so we got involved in the industry, my dilemma was very unlike most people i enjoyed presenting i like to get up in front of people and talk and so how could i be a a presenter a teacher an instructor and still be in this industry that my family so loved and and that i think is where some decisions were made i went to college uh, got a degree in business i got a master's degree in communication and found myself with an opportunity to teach at the university and spent about 16 years Uh, as a professor at the university full time, but then was able to work in my uh, family's company uh, full time as well because we were in the same community. So I'd I'd shuttle back and forth to the university up on the hill. And and then uh, over 30 years ago, joined ACA as a certified instructor, so I'm a senior certified trainer with with ACA. So I was able to do both things. And, And what's not uncommon going back again to how we started is that it was very common back in that era for people just to decide in a very small basis. you worked out of your house. You've you made a few phone calls. You were able to do your own thing, and that dynamic changed a lot uh, over the years. So I got into speaking. Uh, then we had a very unusual opportunity. Uh, one of my dad's old crony friends from, from the beneficial finance days, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bud Reitzel, um, decided to get into a market that no one had ever envisioned, and that was debt purchase. The fact that you could actually buy debt and, and someone would, would sell you paper that you then owned. And of course, you know, the rest is history of where that um, part of the industry has gone. So dad got very involved in that industry and that changed the whole complexion of what we did. So we did a lot of debt purchase and sales in, in just in the state of Pennsylvania. We were pretty, uh, a pretty close bordered on that kind of thing. We, we had a secret sauce to collect in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So. I did all of that. And um, uh, dad passed away, unfortunately, uh, about 13 years ago and decided where I wanted to head with my own organization. I uh, had another business partner in my company uh, and then five years ago decided to sell. And part of the reason for that uh, you journey to where I'm at now is I, I decided that I, I so enjoy helping people that I thought that I could give back more to the industry by not being an operator anymore. Learned a lot over the years, but helping people in a variety of ways So. You know I, I sold the company spent about a year and a half uh, on the team at aca international uh, as director of education and membership development helped them through a you know time period when they were reorganizing somewhat uh, and then a uh, little over two years ago had a conversation with uh, an old industry friend uh, albert Rookard of applied innovation and actually albert and i met well over 30 years ago when i was a certified trainer training in um, the state of Washington. I have probably trained more in the state of Washington than any other state uh, because of the connections I had out there. And he had uh, just just uh, lost a, an executive member of his team and we got chatting and joked about maybe I should come and and uh, work with you and take your company to the next level. And a week later he called and said, I can't get this out of my head. I said, I've been thinking about it a lot too. So I joined Applied Innovation uh little over two years ago as VP of business uh, development and then uh, almost a year ago I moved into the position of president of applied innovation to help take the organization forward so I know you know there's there's a lot of stories in between there right of, of how I got to where I am and, and, and what I'm doing but uh, but, uh, but that is kind of in the nutshell uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to do what I loved in the collection industry but then also to pursue what I love doing in the teaching and the training and the consulting, um, which I I still continue to do some of that work today.
0: Well, that's not only a great story, but I think it leads me really into the direction of wanting to go before we dive into what applied innovation is, but a little bit more about drivers of people, right? Because we try to find what resonates with people to go. That's my story, too. I've been there as well. Or, hey, I want to go that path. I would love to be able to get to that part in my career and so on and so forth. And it's interesting that you had these two parallel paths of the public speaking education part of the life that you've had and then the part as an operator and then being kind of rolled up into your family business in that first generation and taking it on to your second. Do you think you would have been as successful in your career, had you chosen one or the other versus having both of these parallel journeys?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I would probably say no, I would not have been as successful because I had such a firm foundation of, of collection training from you know, one of the best in the business, my dad. Um and so having that education and then, you know, having a, a, another mentor in college who was uh, a, an incredible supporter of mine that said, you know, you, you cannot give up this speaking uh, uh, that you love. You've, you've got to be able to continue to do this. So it was interesting because uh, those my dad and, and my professor from the university used to butt heads sometimes because dad was like, he's going to run my company. And she was like, yeah, but he's also going to speak. And for a really interesting relationship, uh, but both of them were looking out for my best interest. So I, I think, you know, and any educator will tell you this. Um, we talk about how educators give and give and, and spend incredible amounts of time traveling and, and, and staying in hotels and away from, from your business. But the learning curve for an educator is tremendous. I have learned so much from my, my groups of people that I've trained that I've implemented in my own company. And I think a true educator realizes that you'd never stop learning. And so that dynamic of, of working with people, helping them who maybe unknowingly, was, they were helping me in return because I came back to my company renewed and rejuvenated. And with a list of ideas, I'd go to my business partner and say, gosh, Wayne, listen to this. This program they started in this agency out in Texas isn't that fantastic? And we would change our direction in the, in the company. So, so no, I think if if I had been on any one, I think it would have been an enjoyable career. Uh, doing both has been a fantastic career because when you can continue to do what you love in a variety of different directions, I think it, uh, I, I think you can't get better than that.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think the idea that You're able to be genuinely curious through your career and be able to learn constantly and then have a passion driving that towards sharing and helping others. That's been your journey right, throughout your career, not to obviously oversimplify all the wonderful things you've done, but you've taken that piece and shared it with so many people and made it part of who you are. And I think a common theme of a lot of the guests we've had over these last three seasons is really people that love what they do and love learning, right? And so for all of those people that really want to find their niche, their place and where they can make a difference, or they could feel like they add value, what advice would you give them saying, these are the things that you could do to pursue. Is it fear that's keeping them back? What were the things outside of these two? Or was it truly your dad and this professor that were that catalyst that really allowed you to have those opportunities to embrace those things that you're so good at?
1: Yeah, I had two um, very assertive people in my life. And, and that's what made the dynamic interesting when when my, my friend, Dr. Mary Badami, would come to her home and she because she became friends with my parents. And, and you know, we would have these debates over the dinner table. And and uh, she would say to my dad, you're not going to take my boy into your agency and not let him speak. Uh, he's got to go on the road. And uh, my dad would say, but we've been planning for this since the day he was born. He's got to run my company. And so I, I think finding a mentor, uh, finding someone that will help make decisions. What I do uh, in my life is I've got a, you know, a handful of people that I, I reach out to that are good friends, that people that I respect, and, and it's not all of them are in our industry. And I, and I run decisions by them. And believe me, you know the decision to sell my agency, the decision to purchase debt years ago, the decision to um, uh, you know, do more consulting or to join Applied Innovation, you, know, you don't take those uh, decisions lightly. So I think you know as a message for everybody listening you got to go with your heart. Uh you know, you got to do what you love with your career because we spend so much time in our lives working in a career. And and to you know when people start to talk to me about you've been in the industry almost 50 years. Uh, a, a number of podcasts I've done, or when they introduce me, I almost cringe when they say you've been an icon in this industry because all that means is I'm getting really old, right? You, you don't talk to some, you don't say to somebody who's 20 years old you're an icon. But what what I appreciate about that is that when you get to that stage in in your um, your career, and there's lots of people that have lots of decades in the industry that I respect that are in similar positions to myself, uh, it. It, it is a reassurance that you've made a difference. I'll tell you one thing as an educator. You know, I, I run into old clients of mine from my agency. There's a lot of relationships that you build. But one of the most rewarding things that continues to happen to me almost every week of my life, I will run into someone that says, Harry, 26 years ago, I joined the collection industry and I was in Las Vegas and the first seminar I ever attended was led by you. And not only do they remember the the seminar, they will tell me a story that I told. And they will continue to reference that story and use that story when they're training staff members in their own company. And it makes you realize that we have the opportunity to touch people's lives incredibly in education. And when I look at um, you... You may have heard of uh, the show Collector Live that we've been working and producing for five years. When I look at all of my colleagues and friends that are speakers in the industry, they all have one thing in, in common, and that's passion. They have a passion for education. They love to, to uh, see the look on somebody's face when they finally get it, and they love those ongoing stories like I just related where you, you know that you are continuing to touch people. Just had a, a client the other day that I talked to Love for, for Applied Innovation. Had never talked to him before. We're working on a new program. And by the end of the call, he said, Harry, I want to uh, I, I tell you something. He said, over 20 years ago, I was working for a large national bank. And you came to South Dakota. And you did a week journey across the state talking to hundreds of people in each call center, and I was one of them. And I've never forgotten your presentation. And I think it's really cool that we're working together now in in your role as a president of Applied Innovation. Those are the kinds of things that make it all worthwhile. And if you go down the right journeys and you're truly doing what you feel in your heart, you will have a long list of those fantastic experiences.
2: Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, whatsapp twitter telegram among others our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours get integrated compliance support advanced reporting seamless agent and supervisor dashboards and many more performance enhancing capabilities all in just one product nobel biz omni plus the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz OmniPlus at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: Couldn't agree more with that. And I mean, I think to just put the cherry on top of that, really the idea here is surround yourself with people who are not only more intelligent than you in other areas have more experience than you, but they care, and want to invest into you. Uh, but then ultimately, in the end, don't let your ego keep you from being the smartest person in the room and allowing other people in and around you to help, you know, guide you in the areas that you may need. Right. You're not always going to know everything at all times. And so that's really. Hard. But I think now that we go back to the heart and the decisions that we make with the heart. Right. Harry, you're now at Applied Innovation for a little while. Tell everybody about what Applied Innovation is, what it does. What are you doing there outside of right now saying that you're the president of the company? What's going on at Applied Innovation?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, part of the fun story of Applied Innovation is um, last year we had our 20th anniversary. Um, and it's, it's fun for me to say we now because I for most of uh, much of my career, I talked about how much I, I loved Applied Innovation and the products that they had. Uh, but I love to be part of it now and helping it grow and, and helping others through what we do. Um, but I, I came on to ZP of Business Development um, about two years ago, and uh, there was a joke when I joined the company. Two jokes, really. One of what, which was uh, I'm not new to selling for Applied Innovation because I was selling for them since their second year in business when I became uh, a user of their uh, client access web client portal because we would go to conventions and I would kind of hang out at their booth and friends. I had lots of people I knew would just stop by and I would almost go into a demo telling them that I was on the platform. It's the most fantastic thing you would ever seen. And and so the joke when I came aboard is, you know, well, you've been selling it for us for a long time. So it kind of makes sense for you to, to help us uh, uh, grow the, the company. So, you know, I think, I think that that was one uh, interesting dynamic. And the other was, ironically... Uh, I have always embraced technology, but I have never been a technological guru. In fact, it's probably my my weakness that I've had. I had a business partner with a uh you know, computer science degree, and anytime there was technology, he handled it. And so amongst my closest friends, they the, the joke was, you're now the president of a technology company. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and, and it's about that learning that you've been talking about. You know, this, for me, this the new challenge was now let's get behind the scenes and dig in and find out uh, what's behind the platform that I I so embraced. And that has been a, a fantastic journey for me to understand the dynamics of, of development. So, you know, what's happening at Applied Innovation? 20th anniversary last year, uh, when the first product was developed, which was Client Access Web, that was actually the name of the company back then, um, we are finding that there is a real interest in the types of things that we do, uh, the, the client portal, the payment portals, uh, uh, document management, uh, and, and, and organization uh, uh, platforms. Uh, because of the, the different direction the industry is taking, we're we're embracing technology like never before. One thing that continues to amaze me when I look back to my many years ago in, in being a customer of, of Applied to today, now that I understand more about the technologies, the fact that this piece of technology, particularly client access web, was created over 20 years ago. And when you think of how technology has changed and how relevant that program still is, certainly with modifications over the years, um, I think it is the technological savvy and the the foresight of of the owners of of the company and uh, their lead developers that have interested me. So we continue to be on that cutting edge of of developing um, platforms and programs. Uh, What makes us unusual, and the the other piece that I uh, get excited about, is that we can work with most any other collection platform. You know, we... We are not a, a CRM. Uh, we're not a collection platform. We offer software that appends to and supplements and helps organizations uh, uh, with their other CRM. So we've got lots of great relationships with a lot of the people that I've known in the industry for, for many, many years. So When I'm now in the vendor world, I've known these people from my work in the industry, and now we are, are partnering more. So I, I think the other the other issue with Applied Innovation. In 2022 is a real openness to open doorways, to partner with other people, and let's all continue to do what we do best. Yeah, not, we don't all have to be the, the answer to all needs. Uh, let's work together to find ways to integrate and to give uh, users an experience that will truly make their life different within, um, within their organization.
0: So let's talk about Two pieces, right? One is the the user of the system, which is everything from the collections agency to the company that's contacting their own customers to being able to, you know, manage people who purchase debt, third party, first party, so on, and so forth. So that the, let's take the whole umbrella on one side and the other end being the end side, either the customer, the debtor, whomever you're trying to reach out to. When we look back from when you started to now and we look at how we run our operations, how we run tech and use and leverage technology, a lot of those things are driven in many ways by the compliance side of it, the regulatory environment within your state or federally and so on and so forth. And then you also have how do you actually get a hold of the customer or the debtor, depending on your scenario. And when I say get a hold of them, nowadays you have sms email Uh, you have other people that are using on the customer side web chat social media and then you have on the phone right where you're elevating the skills and you have self-service so you have this whole world of stuff that's happening what have you seen either operationally and or technology wise has been the biggest impact in your journey seeing how the agency or company side has been able to keep up or not keep up with what is required to be successful with contacting consumers and debtors?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We have often said that we are, as an industry, behind the eight ball when it comes to technology. Now, obviously, we have grown technologically with with leaps and bounds. but we, because of regulations, we've been hesitant to use email. Some have, have Some some more assertive organizations and progressive organizations have uh, a number of years ago texting and, and SMS. Uh, um, you know, a company like a, 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 a VoApps with direct drop uh, messaging. I mean, we're doing things that we never we never thought that we would uh, do before. But one of the things that I think that you'll, you'll find if you look at the companies that are surviving, the only way to survive into the future is to embrace technology. And, and so, for instance, when my dad started a company, he was writing notes in the back of ledger cards that he got from a doctor. And then we graduated to hand typing on pre-printed ledger cards, the name and address and the account information. And then we moved to computers where we went to the Tandy TRS-80 system. This was a cool thing back then because you could you could um, do your accounting and give your uh, client a statement. That's really all it did. You could actually have a printed statement, on um, dot matrix paper that you sent them. And I mean, there are so many examples of how technology has changed. And the companies that have continued to move forward have embraced all of that technology. Um, I was president of ACA International about 16 years ago, and I remember sitting in meetings on our executive committee talking about the 8,000-plus collection agencies in the country. Today, we believe, uh, we know there's about 4,000, maybe just a little bit more. And one dynamic with those that continue is the fact that they are willing to explore and embrace technology um, I believe what's just happened with the, the, the CFPB and RAG F with that opening of the door by regulators that says, we we think you should be able to do this. Uh, I'm seeing in unprecedented numbers people that are looking at changing the way they, they collect entirely. Um, not all the holdouts. You've still got people like me in my age bracket and some that are the late 60s into their 70s that are holding on to their little agency with... With you know seven people, and by darn we're going to keep doing things the way we are. That that does not have a life for the future. Maybe today you can continue to be a small regional agency, but if you don't uh, embrace the technology moving into the future, you'll never you'll never do it. The good news is that you've got the noble biz companies and the applied innovation companies, and that long list of vendors that you see when you go to industry conferences that have the technologies and the resources that can help get you there. And today, those resources are not nearly as costly as they were decades ago when we had new technology. So you can't today say, I can't afford it, because you you can't afford not to do it. I I think is the real message.
0: Yeah, I think we find today with a lot of our guests that it's not so much whether or not the technology is available and whether or not uh, it's financially attainable. It's one, do you have a plan on how to use it and why you're going to use it? And then when you're going to use it, can you actually measure and manage it properly? Because there's a lot of people that don't have experience leveraging those technologies um, and how to optimize them, how to make them really part of the journey versus just a new shiny object to insert. Now, obviously, self-service is a huge thing, right? Moving towards reducing costs, but also from a compliance perspective, finding ways where there's less humans involved when it's not an overly complex interaction so that you can find ways to still do things in a compliant manner, meet the consumer or debtor where they need to be met, when they need to be met, And then, obviously, from a cost perspective, you know, anytime you have to have another human being involved, it adds more cost. So where does applied innovation layer over that piece of the project when you come to any business where you're trying to say this adds value into your business? We understand that there's a portal. Anything specific around where there's something different or unique that drives what you deliver as value?
1: Well, I think first of all the, the whole concept of self-service is critical, and not only on the consumer end but also on the client end as well, because it, you you can put a tremendous amount of resources into clients that have have needs. So I think when you're you're talking about where we um, are, are heading and what we offer as applied innovation, it is truly that enhancement of the self-service. Um, you. What's really tough for people that don't embrace technology and have a more traditional viewpoint is this concept, as you just stated, we're moving towards self-service. I've had companies that we're talking to that say, I don't want those consumers calling my, my collectors. I want them just to get a letter and go and pay uh, it, it, their, their account, right? Or, or get the information and call in and, and make a, you know, a payment on IVR, but not waste the time of our collectors. Let the collectors dive into the really tougher issues and the real negotiations. So, so that if, if your traditional mindset, that is really tough to, to wrap your hands around that. But that's where we're at. Those are the companies that are going to succeed into the, into the future. So what we talk to our clients about on the client side is to say, listen, let's put this platform in place so that your clients can run their own reports. You might need to help them create them or they can create them on, on the report writer themselves and you don't have to go through the, uh, the, the steps to help them and, and take up all of your uh, client service time. Um, why don't we uh, take your statements that you create for your clients each month? Let's port them over to the Papyrus platform and then notify your clients that your statements are waiting for them and they go in and they grab them. Now, there's still lots of agencies that are sending out their, their statements in the mail. And then, of course, ACH, their, uh, their check to them. Uh, so I think those types of resources are critical. And then on the consumer pathway, where a consumer can get a letter, they can log, um, uh, into a website. They can, if they like, create an account. Um, they can have a display of all of their accounts with that, uh, that agency. They can pick and choose what they want to pay. They can employ one of our negotiators that, uh, you know, based upon metrics created by the agency. The balance of the account, the age of the account, um, that the type and nature of the account, uh, statuses will uh, allow that consumer to negotiate their way through, and and you can go from booking an account, notifying them by, by U.S. Postal Service or email or or text to them themselves moving to a, a site, negotiating their payment, and it's all done, and they in many cases don't need to talk to anyone, and as we know as an industry. We get loads of accounts that are small balance accounts. It, 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 they, that very possible for them to do this. So they can also get into a portal and negotiate a $10,000 balance into monthly payments uh, if the agency builds up parameters to do so. So so more of that is going to continue to happen. And we need to embrace that. And we need to recognize the power in that. And now we need to say, you know, we, need, we need collectors that are uh, as, as educated as they've ever needed to be, and maybe even more so, to be able to work with the consumers that do get through to them about maybe those tougher collection issues. You know, how can you educate them? Uh, What programs do you have that you can implement to help this consumer get that application uh, taken care of? So we still need our collectors, uh, but there's this movement for that self-service.
0: It's it's great that it, it aligns with everything that we've been talking about around the idea that There's there's always this debate that technology is going to overtake humans. Humans won't be needed. And what we're finding is it's not an either or. It's how do they complement one another when they need to work together? And then how do you have each become the option that best makes sense for that interaction? So where you just need something simple, convenient, timely, easy, right? You can enable technology in the right way with the right purpose. So that the consumer debtor has an opportunity for the least amount of friction for them to have an interaction with that agency or that business. Right. But there's always going to be a moment in which the complexity now requires that collector to be able to be much more educated, much more capable within their soft skills, much better at negotiating and so on and so forth. So there's this dynamic that. We have to continue to embrace that. If you don't, you will find yourself in a scenario where it's either or you may get left behind. You gave an interesting number of that eight thousand four thousand. Some of that is probably acquisition, right? Absorbing the other players. And then some of it is businesses that have said, you know, this isn't for me anymore. It's changed in a way that I'm not willing to change or incapable of changing. Right. And so now as we go through that, though, and we move past that, what would you say from a perception perspective You've seen the transition and we could probably say it's not always been a positive, right? Perception of this space, of the arm industry. Now within, there's a lot of great people. We love one another, we talk to one another, we care about one another, and we wanna do the right thing about the customer and the debtor. Make sure that there's not anything negative that happens as a byproduct of not having those important communications, right? But from your perspective, what have you seen any transition between the perception that people have around the arm space? Or what is that that you see today?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, I've had the opportunity to joke many times over the years relative to what I do for a living. And I'm a debt collector. And I would start presentations that way. I would have all kinds of fun. I have flew all over the country many, many times. And you know, you sit down next to somebody, and you, that that small talk for a couple of minutes, and I will look at them, and I tell them I'm a debt collector, and you watch, you know, their nonverbal communication because, yeah, you know, these are tough people that beat people up over the phone, and they don't care about you. All they care about is is you know getting the money because the collector wants to line their pockets, and you know those are the horror stories of, of years ago. Uh, there is a very small percentage of our industry. That you know had some very rough and and in many cases illegal approaches. We as an industry have battled those bad operators, and the overwhelming majority are good, decent people. And so, one of the things that we've trained for years with all of our program at ACA uh, International is how we can best communicate with with consumers, understand them. Uh, empathize with them empathy is one of the biggest keys that we have the 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 lives of the consumers that collectors are talking to they're not that different than that individual collector making the phone call i've always believed for instance that one of your best collectors can often be the person who has had a lot of debt and and collection issues in their life and they found a way to to uh, navigate those challenges and so today it is a very much a softer approach. It's not nearly as assertive in collections as it used to be. And I, and I don't even want to say aggressive. I mean, I know there were aggressive collectors, but it was a, it was a much more forceful tone that was used at one time. Now it's about educating. So giving options and choices, not just that whole array of how can I pay? Look at all these different ways I can communicate and pay, but being sure that each individual is communicated uh, with in a manner that is uh, positive for them. So, you know, the lady who's seventy-four years old is she's she's not going to get online and pay. Perhaps she's going to write out a check. And then you've got the the, you know, the person um, who's who's twenty years old that's they're they're going to get online and they're going to make some kind of an electronic payment. And uh, uh, and move forward in that fashion. So, you know, we I, I think we absolutely have to understand that as as an, an industry today, um, we we have to, as as I've stated before, embrace these technologies and realize that that it is a softer, um, a more empathetic, uh, more understanding, and more education based environment than we've we've had in the past. And I think here's something that I think that COVID has done. We've spent two years now, and and somehow now we this is something we can all relate to. You know, we often talked about you've got consumers and you've got debt collectors, and there's this like they're on opposite sides. Now we've all lived through this crisis, we've all found ways to navigate our way through it, and and that collector making a a, a collection call can completely relate to that person on the other end, other end of the line is talking about all of the challenges they've had with COVID. And so I think the upside with with that uh, issue is that it has helped us become much more empathetic, understanding, um, and willing to deal with people in a variety of ways rather than just having this narrow pathway, which is the way we have to collect.
2: A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost-per-minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: So let's talk about COVID for a minute. Since you brought it up, it was something that I wanted to talk to you about in consideration of two things, right? One is the topic that you just brought up of empathy and having this vision that there's this thing that everybody was and has been impacted by COVID in some way, obviously not equally by any means, but in some way, it's like a topic that people can talk about and understand what some other people have experienced, right? You have this idea of being on Zoom, you know, everyone's Kind of getting sick of being on webinars and zoom and you know what's really tangible for me since everything's virtual um, at the same time though from a COVID perspective it also broke a lot of the way people were thinking of how things had to be or what they were willing to embrace or what they had to do to survive do you have any in particular journeys or stories that you experienced or that you saw in the industry of how people took something from an oh my gosh we have to do blank, and then it became something that afterwards was like, "Wow, we survived." Is there any type of transitions or stories or things that really you said resonated with you during that time period of survival, and making things work?
1: We talk about COVID all the time, of course, because we're still involved with it, right? We're still today we're dealing with COVID. Um, but I think I think when you talk about the, the stories that have transpired, there's a, a couple of things. First of all. Oh, it is a reaffirmation that we are a resilient industry. When you go back to 1978 with the introduction of the Fair Debt Collection Practice Act, people today that are engaged in the industry, in the arm industry, forget about that. They weren't around back then, right? They heard about the creation of the law. The sky was falling back then, now, as it was with the creation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act and HIPAA. I remember the highest attendance that the industry ever had at some of the ACA meetings when HIPAA was coming about because the sky is falling, right? Where we won't be in business anymore. And I think companies that are intuitive enough realize that this is a challenge and my gosh, this could go badly, but what do we need to do as an industry to ensure that we're going to move forward? And for the traditional owners of agencies, the thought, that we would have collectors working from home, sales maybe, management on occasion, but frontline collectors working from their bedroom, corner desk with a monitor and, a, and telephony like, like you folks offer, uh, that can't possibly work. And we've surprised ourselves, so much so. The stories I'm hearing is that companies are so much better today than they were two years ago they uh, they had to embrace technologies to survive, and now they realize that technology is going to take them the next step with their uh, with their organization. And so, I think moving forward, what we've learned is that we have a more empathetic approach. Uh, we we deal with consumers in different ways, and it's okay to have cons- uh, collectors working from home. And will most companies I've talked to will continue to do so? It'll be I think it'll be a hybrid. I don't think the companies in general will go 100% remote work, but I think you'll have that hybrid where some of them are, some of them aren't. Some of them come in for a day or two a week to the office and stay home. And it's opening incredible opportunities. I I can't tell you, uh, and I know every agency owner, operator out there listening to this can lament the collector, their top collector that they lost because their significant other got transferred and they moved across the country. We lost so many good people because they couldn't work for you when they left your town in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, where I live. But today you can maintain that relationship because they can work, uh, work remotely. So that I think is the biggest story I've been hearing. So everything from great success stories where companies are, are, are pounding it and doing it fantastically and, and, and not only surviving, but really thriving. They're a better organization. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum the company that I talked to back in uh, the beginning of December that was kind of lagging getting on our platforms for a long time because they were so busy, and I jokingly said, listen, I understand, I'm sure you have been immersed to your eyeballs with Reg F. And their response was, what is Reg F? And I laughed. Because of course that's the joke, right? We all know what reg F it, uh, is. They literally had not heard of the CFBB's regulation F. And I don't know how it is impossible, it, how it's possible to have your head that far into the sand to not know because of all the great news sources that we have. Even the, the great work that you folks do with, with your noble business platforms. Uh, there's so much education out there. So interesting to me, you've got, the acceleration of companies and the thriving and companies that just aren't in tune. But that same thing happened with the introduction of HIPAA and FCRA and the FDCPA. Not everyone's an early adopter, not everyone pays attention. Uh, the companies that will be around five years from now are those that are paying attention, are doing and making changes if they need to. Yeah, you know, I've often said over the years, there's a, a quote um, uh, change is. Um, guaranteed uh, growth is optional. Uh, so we know, right, uh, that that there is going to be change every day, particularly in our industry, uh, but not everybody grows. Uh, you can survive the old way and you can survive the new way. It's the transition that'll kill you. That's another one that I've always loved. Uh, think about it. You know, if you can make it through that transition... And you come out that other side, you can be such a better organization, despite how difficult that transitional stage might be.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, even like in sports, right, everyone feels like there's this extra pressure to go against your rival, right? Your your biggest challenge. And so that's the thing is, I think a lot of us have to look at when we go into work every day, when we start our week, when we go into whatever we're doing. You know, do we love this and can we put ourselves into it? Right. Obviously, not all of us are blessed like that. Right. Some of us are in positions where truly it just pays the bills and you're trying to figure out how do you do the next thing. But with that, you had mentioned something earlier where you would lose your top collector because they had to move. And now because of working remote in many ways, you can actually potentially retain that. But there's a flip side to it that i've been finding in the greater contact center space right and i want your opinion in the arms space and what you're hearing and seeing here when it comes to people have a lot more opportunity to find alternatives too it's not just i can retain that person is i have a lot more competition where that person that may have had one or five or ten agencies they could work for in their physical footprint they really have the whole country now that they could go and be sought after for the skills that they have and the proficiencies they have and how do you retain those top performers or even get those people to perform in today's age where they really do have a lot of opportunities where people are fighting for that talent now that they couldn't when it was regionally based of where you could hire and have them physically there any insight into what you're doing at applied innovation or what you've seen other people elsewhere in the industry at agencies that How do they retain that top talent when they really can go wherever they want?
1: Well, you have to change the culture somewhat, right? And and first of all, work from home isn't for everyone. Uh, There are people who don't want to work from home. You've got collectors that can't wait to get back to the the office. We embrace remote work. We've got developers that work remotely. Uh, Now they're president of of the company based in central state of Washington. I, I live in northeast Pennsylvania. Um, Our new VP of business development lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we're able to run and manage a company uh, from that uh, uh, with that dynamic. You're absolutely right. So the flip side, I've been hearing a lot about this from friends in the industry, loads of people I know that own own agencies. Uh, They're able to maintain and keep people happier on one hand. On the other hand, there's a wide market out there of people that are willing to, um, to give additional incentives. So I think what we have to do to keep people... Is, is make their, their, their work life and their work environment and the culture that, that you maintain with, with, uh, team members a very positive experience. You might have to pay them a little bit more. Uh, there is one company, uh, that has talked about and, and, and you may have heard of them where they have now gone to a four day work week. So you can be remote. You can be, um, uh, you can work four days and, and, which was a surprise to me when I heard that. I thought, well, that's not unusual. Uh, work four tens. No, you work four eights and get paid for a 40-hour work week. That's going to get some attention. So I think, once again, if your company is um, creative enough um, and open enough to embrace work from home, you also then have to realize that you might need to offer additional incentives for people to stay. Uh, maybe a little bit more money, uh, maybe uh, uh, a little bit more fun. I mean, I know there's a, you know, we've, a lot of agencies have fun in the, the office. You can't forget about having fun just because your, your team isn't there. You, you've got to really focus on, and maybe even in, in more ways than you ever have done before, on how to make their job uh, enjoyable. Uh, it's one thing, you know, people are lonely. People are working from home and they're lonely because they're single and they never see anybody. The opposite end of the spectrum is um, the collector is working from home and she's a mom with five kids. right? And the kids are coming and going and she's trying to manage that. So I I think continuing to offer um, programs that, that will make that person's life um, a little more palatable, a little bit more enjoyable, and maybe not just standard ways that we incentivize, but maybe more unique individual ways. What, you know, instead of having everything the same, what does collector A really like and need versus collector B? What's their life situation? You know, do they want more time off? You know, maybe they don't want time off. You know, but they they need a little bit more money, or they really need that insurance. Uh, 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 coverage that's important to them. So I, I think uniquely diving in to what is uh, the true needs of each individual.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned time off because I, I one of the themes I've heard as well is sometimes people say, I can't afford to take time off, right? So it's not so much how much you pay them. Um, sometimes a non-monetary uh, showing of appreciation, allowing them to feel that they add value and are valued in the organization, and then there's things like time off, benefits, and other things that I think when you look holistically at your, um, you know, most expensive and valuable resource, which is your people, is. What is it that you do so that if they're cared for, that they can care for the business and they can care for your end customer, right? right? And that's
1: ultimately. And it, you can continue because you're remote. Doesn't mean we can't do some continue the fun things. A friend of mine has an agency with about 50 collectors, and most of them are remote. Well, they had a blast every Friday. They had one of those big wheels that you spin, and you know if if you were top notch, you know the five top collectors got to win whatever was on there. They still do it. They log into a Zoom call at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Everybody's logged in and they've got the camera on the wheel. And it says, okay, Julie, this is your spin. And somebody spins it and she went and they're hooting and hollering and having fun. We can do that. I know some of you might want to be back in the office and you can't right now, but we we can't forget that you can continue to have fun and you might need to be a little bit more creative about it. And But you you make a very valid point. There's opportunity with the work from home, but... A lot of agencies are struggling to find and keep the retention issue because they can so easily for a buck more an hour, you know, simply log into a different uh, account, right? A different platform and continue to collect tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Everything from staffing uh, to being able to actually manage uh, the retention and turnover. So, you know, one of the things I want to close out with on, on your experience is if, if someone today was saying, you know, I want to start an agency, or I want to acquire an agency, what would be the advice you would give them? Are you crazy? No, no, not. not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's funny, because I was actually going to make that joke and say, don't do it. uh, (laughs)
1: Actually, uh, to be honest with you, I would say, don't do it. Dot, dot, dot. Unless you've done your homework. And unless you're prepared for the industry of today. So the reason we've gone from eight to four is that in the last 10 years, very few agencies have opened, very few agencies have have started anew. Interestingly, just yesterday, I had a call from a guy that said I was referred to you for applied innovation. I was in the industry. I got out for about 10 years. I want to get back in. We talked about software platforms and that type of thing, because he, he said, I want to do this, but I know he said this is a very different world than what I'm used to. So, don't do it unless you are ready for the world today. It, the days of like long ago of literally just having a phone and some ledger cards or, uh, it, you know, some word docs that you put notes on, that, that's, that's done. That's over. You've got to be prepared today. So I think you're going to find more people. I, I've probably talked to about a half dozen com- people that are starting uh, agencies over the last few months that are really seriously thinking of getting involved, but the, the learning curve is different. Yeah, well, I think
0: that point is that you don't just do it. You do it because you have a reason and you have some planning and some background and what can help you be successful. But with that said, you know, we've talked a lot about your journey, a lot about applied innovation. We've talked about what you've been experiencing and what your peers and friends and colleagues have been experiencing. That's a lot. What do you do to unwind? What do you do to disconnect when you're not working or do you always work? You know, what does Harry do to be able to balance work and life?
1: Well I've I've been a business owner my entire life. So you cannot you can't get rid of that that culture of being an owner. So you know I am not an owner for the first time in my life, you know, to to a friend's own applied innovation, but as president I'm running it as if it's it's my own. Uh, I think now it's a generational thing, too. Now I realize that at, at the age of 60, you need to keep your life in, in more in balance. And so I put in a, a good hard week. But, you know, I, I have my evenings. I have my weekends to myself. I I, I love to work around my property. I've, I've got eight acres. And so even in times of COVID when no one could go anywhere, I had a load of load of projects that I could work on outside and, and enjoy that. Uh, and so you know, we've had a retail flower shop that we bought 27 years ago. So, you know, when, oh, wow. when I'm not doing, uh, uh, this work with applied, I might be helping with marketing ideas or literally waiting on customers on a holiday. So I, I think pursuing what you want to do, speaking, doing podcasts, uh, I think the variety is what I'm interested in today, uh, very much so. And, uh, and, and I've been a, an animal lover my whole life. Uh, so we've had a set of three Goldens for years. Unfortunately, we're down to one. And so that that spending time with and connecting with your animals now that we're at home. Um, uh, I posted, some, some of our listeners may have seen my post about three weeks ago. Our old girl, uh, Tinda, uh, passed away. Um, and I, uh, a year ago, posted uh, how important our pets are on the internet with a picture. And when she died, I posted her picture and talked about very briefly her death and how important our animals are to us. When I'm on LinkedIn, if I get a good following of viewers, uh, I might get about 5,000 views. I think I've hit 10. We're up to, as of today in three weeks, 72,000 views of that picture and that story. And, And that says to me in the arm industry that although we're really busy, and although we've got all of these challenges, one of the most important things to to people often isn't the business related issue. It's that 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 dog that you have sitting next to your feet. It's uh, the kids that you have that maybe makes too much noise on occasion outside of your door when you're on a call, and that significant other in your life. And I think that's probably one of the biggest changes over the last two years. We've focused more on that. And we've realized, you know, that is just as important if not more important than all of these business challenges that we have from day to day
0: well first obviously sorry for your loss um you know it, having one of uh your loved ones pass is always so difficult and for those that have had animals And had that experience, it's very difficult for us as a family. We actually got our first dog during the pandemic. A lot of people have the joke, "Covid dog" or "Covid animal." Um, So, you know, we love our our little dog to death, and you know, um, looking forward to hopefully a lot of great memories, as you probably have had with two uh, that have passed, and your third that you still have, but you know, with that note, you know, there's always something that we find to find the balance and what we spend our time on and finding some place to escape, right? And escape, not like you're escaping prison, but escape meaning being able to allow yourself to be refreshed so that you can be yourself outside of work and inside of work versus, um, getting yourself to a point where you're no longer able to really perform at your peak, right? Find those things that you can do, whether it's working out, whether it's walking, painting, photography, cooking, or even tending to your eight acres, whatever it may be, right? Um, but, But with that said, this has been a great episode. I'm so excited that this was the first one of season three. I know there's going to be people that want to connect with you, Harry. So where can they do that? How they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, a variety of ways. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, so message me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not very active on Facebook. Uh, my personal email is Harry Strasser just my name, at gmail.com. Work is hstrosser at appliedinnovationinc.com. Uh, and, you know, there's this thing called a phone that we don't use as much anymore in business and in personal relationships, but my cell number is 570-336-7056. Give me a call. I'd love to talk. Just make sure it doesn't show up as spam. <laughs> <laughs> I may not answer the first time you call, but when you leave your message, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well,
0: Harry, thanks so much for stopping by. Loved having you on. And for everyone else, looking forward to seeing you on the next episode.
1: Thanks, Kristen. Great being here. Thank you for joining
0: me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you wanna get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montes, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.